Hey guys, TGIF. Welcome to your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Another week, another dollar on the path to FI. Hey, Brad, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing quite well. Yeah, what's going on? Not much, man. I really enjoyed that episode this past week with uh, ESI. And I think there was a lot of stuff there that really hadn't been covered together, especially in a place that tells a story. That episode had a purpose. It helps our audience and and personally us potentially get to FI faster. And I thought there was a, a lot of good content there. What did you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think one of the cool aspects was was basically looking at compound interest in a sense, but just on the earning side as opposed to on the saving side, right? Which we don't ever talk about. ESI was saying how the difference between, let's say, like a 5% or 6% annual raise as opposed to the standard two or 3% can be literally millions of dollars over a working career. I mean, that's just an astounding figure. And we should kind of conceptually understand that based on understanding compound interest, but it, but it just never occurred to me. So even just that one thought alone was, was such a game changer for me. I couldn't agree more. And what's really interesting about that, first of all, like you said, just that we don't consider it. And second, how powerful it'd be when you get that 3%, 4%, 6% raise just to invest it in your 401k or in your tax deferred accounts. So you're capturing all of it instead of your after tax portion of it. Yeah, no, that's a very, very, very good point. And yeah, it's cool. Actually, I I just opened up right before we started recording this. I just opened up my Google app on my phone and I'm seeing that ESI money is actually really hitting the big time. He is now an author on Business Insider. He has an article I'll link to to in the show notes uh, entitled, I retired at 52 with a $3 million net worth. Here are the 10 worst money mistakes anyone can make. So how, I mean, how cool is that, that he's just, he's everywhere now? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that that's luck? Because I would say, having talked to the guy for 45 minutes, I know for a fact that that is not luck. This is a guy that makes the right moves. He does the small things. I mean, he he is connected. He networks. He reaches out. He just does the little things and, and he doesn't spend all day pouring over it, but he just takes these little steps every single day that gets him closer to his goal. And whatever it is he's striving for, this is what an optimized game plan looks like, right? Yeah, I hear you. And I know ESI is a listener of this podcast. So when he hears this, hopefully he can shoot us an email or send us a voicemail on how he made that happen how he's now an author at Business Insider, because I think that would be cool for the for the audience to hear. So maybe we'll play that on a future Friday Roundup if all goes well. But I suspect very strongly there's there's some kind of networking story behind that, right? Yeah, of course there is. Of course there is. I, I love talking to him. Now, first of all, there's, there's a couple things that strike me. One, ESI is relatively new on the scene. Uh, but when I got into his content, I realized just how much time he's actually put into this stuff. It, it's really remarkable. And some of it is just things that I'm not reading anywhere else. So originally career hacking, was just going to be one show. I mean, it was just, hey, let's just talk about this real quick. But then I said, hey, ESI, help me figure out how we can package this to tell a story. And he sent me all these ideas, Brad. It, it, it blew my mind. And I was like, you can't do this in one show. You just, you just can't. And this is information that I actually want to learn. Please teach me, you know, teach me. And then let's share it with you guys. And I think, I don't know how many parts there are. I know that Brad and I have committed to a lot of different things, you know, real estate, investing, career hacking, college hacking, all these other things. But I think that in this particular space, whether it be career hacking or college hacking, ESI has tons to offer. I mean, he is just, he's an expert. He's literally walked it and now he can talk about it. Yeah. So Jonathan, what, what jumped out to you from Monday's episode? All the steps individually, there were little pieces of it that I love about every single one. Now I work in the corporate world. Um, I'm still on that side of FI as, as most 90 plus percent of our audience are. I know we have some guys that are on the other side that just love reliving it with us. They've already done it all, but they love reliving it with us. But most of us are still on this, on this path and whether it be corporate or small business or otherwise, most of us are still on this path. And there were, there were a bunch of things that I just, I enjoyed reflecting on as he was talking about it. One of them was starting at a higher salary and kind of how in the FI world we do kind 
kind of strategize our careers. We don't necessarily pick at random. And the criteria that we have, especially the more we get into this, the earlier you realize that FI is going to be a 10 to 15 year career path for you, that totally changes the, the jobs that you want to look for. You probably don't want to look for a job that's going to force you to get 300 plus thousand dollars in debt and start working when you're 35 if you find this stuff early enough. Conversely, you want a job that gets your earning potential up high enough with as short of an educational span as possible. So I think that kind of narrows the field and allows us to look at our possible career options through a different lens. What are your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, there's certainly some commonalities amongst professions and career paths amongst people who are choosing FI. Of course, there are people from all all walks of life, all career paths, but, but you do see some commonalities. And I think that might speak to the concept of second generation fire a little bit more. Maybe we help steer our children a little bit. Obviously, don't want to control their lives, but there are certainly career paths. I know accounting, like I chose, engineering is, is one. There are many, many others. And I'd actually love to hear from the audience, as always. You know, Jonathan and I, well, we have our opinions. They're they're limited, and you guys have tons of ideas. So again, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com with any kind of career paths that you think are, are especially relevant for, for that second generation fire. So yeah, I think that would be that would be very helpful. Yeah, Jonathan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I love that. Every conversation that we have has two different focuses. It has our audience now that's listening to us today. How can we help you guys reach five faster? And then the pivot with almost every conversation that we've had is how can we help second generation fire? That's how this conversation builds on itself naturally. We had someone leave us an iTunes review the other day and basically said, guys, he said, yep, yep, yep. Everything you're saying, I, I love it. Now I'm a generation ahead of you. But this is what I want my kids and my grandkids to do. This is what I, I am hoping for them. This is what I'm wishing for them. And that's exactly the way that I look at it. I can't use everything that I learned for myself, but I will use everything that I learned as I create a construct for the, my family. That's the most important thing. How can I help my family? And so Fi looks at career options through a different lens. You know, if you're interested in only a 10 to 15 year working career, you're not necessarily interested in the job that pays the absolute most. That's not the only criteria. There are other factors involved. What if you had a job that was seasonal and you could earn forty dollars to $50,000 a year for six months worth of work and then the other six you had off maybe to pursue a side hustle or something else? I could see that being a viable option. Uh, what if you had a job that did not require a college degree because you had no interest in college, but you were able to get you know a blue collar working job that immediately from the age of 18 paid $50,000 a year? And there's certainly job options in that field that become available. If you can grab on to some of these low hanging fruit, some of these opportunities that pay fair significant amount of money uh, with out the the time cost. You know, time is the one thing that we're losing and we can never get back. So it is worth it from a five perspective because the math works for you. It's a function of the math. It's worth it from a five perspective to take a lower paying job that still pays, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. Uh, that doesn't require a college degree necessarily uh, because the math works for you. So I don't, you know, I'm not saying that that's what you have to do or that you have to do something else. I'm just we are going to look at it differently. And when you have a construct like Phi, like choose Phi to look at it from, you can win in all sorts of different scenarios. And I would be interested from our audience just to see what does that look like for you guys? What did you figure out that you'd like to share with us? Send us your thoughts, feedback at choosefi.com. Yeah, and I know what you just mentioned is actually very applicable to my own life, which is my wife, Laura, is a CPA. Now, I know you kind of in passing said without a college degree, and you know, we can argue whether whether that's you know, plausible or not. And, and I think it is. But this is an example of someone with a college degree who works a seasonal job, essentially. So she's a stay at home mom for essentially 10 months of the year. And for two months, basically from February 15th through April 15th, she works. And full time, we'll say it's not exactly full time. She's not working like crazy, crazy hours, but she's working on tax returns. She does, I don't know, 100, 150 tax returns, makes a decent amount of money. And and that's that. And honestly, like once we pay off our mortgages, that just that little bit of work that Laura does will be enough to cover all of our life expenses. So we are basically even with nothing else, we're at five right there or that that covers covers our expenses without having to dip into any of our net worth. And, you know, she likes doing it. It's, it's like I said, just a couple months a year. It's no big deal. And I mean, that's just such a nice safety net. And it really ties in precisely to what you're talking about with just thinking about a problem a little bit differently. When you only need $30,000 a year to live, well, 
you can do that by working two months a year in, in this particular case, which is really cool. That's so cool. Yeah, that is absolutely cool. And hear me, audience. I did not say, because someone's going to call me out on this. I did not say don't get a college degree. That is not what I said. What I was saying is just simply, I think you can still choose FI without one. There, there's room there. So college degree, very, very valuable and definitely not going to get into the weeds there on that one. A couple other things that come to mind, like you said, people that have significant downtime. So accountants seems like a great option. Engineers make a very high level of pay with the bachelor's degree coming right out the gate. Teachers, especially in the public sector, have access to the 457. So we talked about how powerful is that? Plus they have the summers off if they're working for a, doing some sort of side hustle or something else. I've seen all sorts of you know people take those routes and have stories to tell about it. So that just gets a conversation started definitely doesn't finish it let us know what your thoughts are guys uh the other thing that he really hit on i thought was fantastic was managing your boss and you know not in the cynical dark hacking sort of way but just having a conversation that involves you telling your boss i'm interested in being a high performer i want to be someone that you can coach and grow if you are a boss or a manager of people you are probably aware especially if you have people above you that your responsibility is to coach and grow your team and having an employee come up to you and say i want to be your guy is incredibly rewarding. That's low hanging fruit for you. If you're a manager, you are going to be automatically putting yourself into a mental role because now you have someone that is willing to be coached up. That's just a dream come true as a manager and as a boss. So the next step for you as the employee is then getting them to identify what it is they're looking for and then writing that down and then over delivering on whatever it was that you agreed on. And I love the ESI said, gross sales is not enough. Give them an actual number, nail down what that actually is. And you can apply that to every field, but specific numbers are important because when you go back to that boss for the review and you say, hey, look, you wanted me to do this. You wanted me to do A, I did A plus 10. And just across the board, that is the conversation. That is what sets you up for these ridiculously awesome raises when they're coming around. And you know what? The cool thing about that was once you've done that, if you're documenting it, when you go for that same review and you do that, and then they say, no, we don't have anything for you, you're still winning because you have now built yourself a portfolio of accomplishments, which is what we talked about when you decide to, to transition to a different job, which is where ESI said these massive 10, 20% raises come from. It's all based on accomplishments. You need to be able to talk about what you accomplished in your role. And just the fact that you've gone from passively going through life and doing what they told you to do and checking in and checking out at the right time, as opposed to now thinking about life in terms of accomplishments, you are positioned to win over and over and over again. You are going to be the one that gets consistently higher raises than your peers. Yeah, it would be incredible to walk into that new job interview and with, with that ammunition, right? To say, I did X, Y, and Z. I raised sales by 20% or 22%, whatever it is that you have documented and you can speak through it. Yeah. And I know as, as an employer and a, a future employer, that would absolutely blow me away. And I can't imagine not hiring that person, right? If all things are equal, how could you not hire that person? So yeah, that's, that really is impressive. And that definitely puts a nice spin on this, this whole concept of setting up that managing the boss, you know, not only for your current job, but potentially for future opportunities as well. And that could be where you get even bigger raises. So it sets you up to win no matter what. Another thing struck me when we talk specifically about networking. Now we spent a lot of time really diving into LinkedIn. I'm going to back off that because he really talked about how you would do it but specifically networking in general. It strikes me more and more the farther I get into my career path that job applications that are posted on the internet or for spots that haven't been filled by networking. And, and I never realized this as a, as a new guy coming up through the ranks. And you always hear about like monster jobs and postings and that sort of thing. All the sweet spots were filled because you knew someone. And as an employer, I know that I do not want to just hire someone from scratch. If, if I talk to any of the people on my team and they say, hey, this person has all this experience and they're looking for an opportunity and I worked with them before and they're amazing. I don't want to start with some person that I've never met. I want to go grab that person. And, I, and I'm sure that as an employer, most employers would would find themselves in a similar situation. So the key there for the FI community that's always trying to game this thing out and be ready is yes, networking is important for you. It is important for you. It's going to open up doors. Now, I don't know what that looks like specifically. It sounds like the easiest thing would be something like LinkedIn, but in general, networking is, is an incredibly valuable tool if you put it in the proper construct that we're talking about. So Jonathan, I know we've had discussions about how networking, I guess you'd say, has, has helped us here at Choose FI. And I think it would be interesting for the audience to hear about from your perspective, especially. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, this is really cool. So eight months to a year ago, I was on the outside of this framework, loving personal finance, devouring it, listening to it nonstop, figuring out how I could make improvements in my own life. And then I decided, you know what? I don't just want to read it. 
I want to be a part of it. And at this point, it's just me enjoying my passion. It's reaching out to someone. And I reached out to Brad to talk to him about it. The thing is, I didn't have any sort of real master plan. You know, I just wanted to talk about something that I'm passionate about and share this passion with other people that were in a similar place. Now that I'm on the inside of this, essentially, and we're building this this thing together, neither of us are necessarily doing this intentionally, but networking is critical. You know, you would think that in an online business, there's no need for networking. It's all digital. It's just email. No, it's more important than ever. We actually use it every single day. You know, and I think probably the biggest example of that, uh, if we wanted to round that out, was our, our first going to that camp mustache for the first time. Wouldn't you say, Brad? Yeah, I mean, that that certainly launched Choose FI to a very real degree. I mean, it, it became real at that event. There's no doubt about it. And we probably could have lined up 15 guests just from that one that one event. But more so, we were able to to talk about this concept with people and and really think it through. Like I remember the the very first night, Emma, who was one of the organizers, really sitting down with us and challenging us in a sense. Do you do you remember that conversation? I love Emma. I love everything about. She's just amazing. I love the way she challenges us on every little like minutia. And it was and at the end of it, it was really cool because she said, "Yeah, that's really awesome. I don't think anybody's done that. I get it. That's really cool. Go guys. Now I'm excited." But along the way, it was poking at every single little weak point to see is this going to work? Is that going to fly? What makes that different? It was, it was really cool. So Emma's just a fantastic, fun person to talk about. And she is a, a whiz at real estate, just showing you that you really can just learn anything if you just apply yourself to it. Yeah. As Jonathan kind of alluded to, and we don't want to belabor this, but it, but it's so important networking. I, I hate that word. It, it really like, it skews me out a little bit. Honestly, I really don't like it, but to me, it's about personal relationships and personal connections. And even in this digital world, as Jonathan alluded to personal relationships matter matter more than anything. I would even argue my entire success with my three different websites, or certainly my two most recent one, Travel Miles 101 and Choose FI, comes down to personal relationships. And you look at Choose FI here, right? It It's all about, these are people, the guests we've had on would have been almost impossible to get if we were just some random new podcast that nobody knew about. But I've established friendships, not just glad-handing networking opportunities at a, at a conference, but genuine genuine friendships forged over, you know, dozens of emails in person, hanging out and having beers around a a fire, you know, I mean, this kind of stuff, like actual relationships. And when I shoot Jim Collins an email to say, Hey Jim, we, we had this great idea for a series of podcasts. You want to come on? His response was sure. When not, Oh, so who are you guys? What are you planning on doing? If, if we were just random strangers and he said this to us, Jonathan, when, after we finished recording, if we were just random strangers, Jim's a nice guy. So he wouldn't have ignored the email, but he essentially would have said, yeah, I don't really have time. But he said, for you, Brad, and it sounds weird for me to say this out loud, but you know, for you, Brad, I, the answer was just sure when, yeah. and that's pretty amazing, you know? That's incredible. And I'm glad you went back to that because you're right. It, it, it's not networking. We did not necessarily go down to mustache to network. We went to share things that we love talking about with other people of similar minds. And you can't help but form relationships when you have this framework in common. That's just what happens. You're going with, you're looking for a place to express your ideas and things that get you excited. And you're going there with like-minded people and, and you can't help but form these relationships and naturally, you go to those relationships when you when you want to pursue something like this. I mean, that that's just a, a natural home for it. So I agree. With, and, and you're right. Networking, it does. It feels, it feels is it, did you say skeevy? Is that the word? Yeah, I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> well, I'm normally the one that makes them up, so I can't call you out too much for that. But all right. But yeah, and you do. You had these longstanding personal relationships that you had put so much into over the last several years with really never asking anything in return, just kind of being there to help them in the space that you could help them with. And of course, you know, when you needed something, they were there for you because you're our friends, you know, and it just that is what networking looks like when it's done right. It, it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And that ties kind of back into what ESI said, just to put a put a bow on this. What two of his things were be likable and be attractive. And, you know, the attractive thing is a little weird, but uh, but but I understand where he's coming from, certainly. But it's it's just be likable. It's be genuine. Be a normal person. Don't walk into a meeting or a conference with a hundred business cards and hand them out to every random person you see, like that is going to get you nowhere in life. Some people might disagree, but to me, that is not the person that I want to establish a friendship and a relationship with. You know, people will go to bat for you when they care about you. And that doesn't mean make contrived friendships or pseudo friendships. It's be genuine, be a real person. To me, it's, it's more about having five, 10, 15 genuine personal connections and people that you care about that you'll help and they'll help you in return than having 
500 people on a, a LinkedIn profile. You know, like to me, that is just so much more powerful. For sure. We had this one iTunes review that came through and honestly, it was a while ago, but I just, I kept wanting to read it because it, it just cracked me up and it was from Rancher's Daughter and uh, the title of it was Russ Cole, which by the way is a, a character. I had to look it up. It's a character in True Detective, but this quote is just hilarious. And uh, Rancher's Daughter said, most of the time I am convinced that they have lost it. Meaning us, Brad, me and you. But there were other times I think they're mainlining the secret truth of the universe. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And I, I agree with you. Sometimes these ideas can seem out there, but when you put them all together, you know, they tell a really cool story that's just going to amplify your energy and your results as you pursue Phi. Yeah, I really like that quote. I think the mainlining the secret truth of the universe. I talk about all the time, like in my personal life, I think I've mentioned it on the on the podcast. Like Phi to me is a superpower. And it's it's not just about the money. It's not just about living below your means. It's everything that's part and parcel of this, about just having a better, happier life, about being more efficient, getting in better shape, having better personal connections and relationships. It's all part of this secret truth of the universe, as Rancher's daughter said. I, I think that is really, that, that's how I look at Phi. Guys, it's time for us to go ahead and segue into our case study. Now, as you know, Paul gave us tons of great information uh, and we sent this off to Big Earn from Early Retirement Now. We announced last week that Big Earn is going to be an in-house expert for all things technical. Now, y'all know, especially those of you that are hardcore fire, how valuable this is. I don't think anybody understands the technicalities and the minutia of actually pulling the trigger you know, and what early retirement and sequence of returns and safe withdrawal rates. I don't think anybody has put more time into studying it that actually has a published blog than early retirement now. And what he's basically agreed to do is as we're doing these case studies, he's going to come on and kind of analyze our thoughts and also what our case studies thoughts were and help us figure out what's the sweet spot that actually looks feasible for them going forward. Now, this is the point in time where I need to make this controversial audacious statement. It just has to be made. And so I'm going to put it out there and then we're going to get your feedback and we're going to get Brad's feedback, which he may disagree. I want to say that in the same way that you can call the Dave Ramsey show and you can say, I'm debt free. You can say that I choose Phi, I am Phi. Once you have 25 times your annual expenses saved up in an investment vehicle or, you know, a savings account. So that essentially means once you can say the 4% rule is a reality for me, you are at Phi. But there's a big difference between being at FI and actually pulling the trigger and saying, I'm never going to work again. I'm never going to earn another dollar and I'm going for early retirement now. And and especially when you have a, a 60 to, to 80 year potential retirement range, uh, there is a difference there. So for the sake of a show and having a metric, you guys can say on this show, you can do the I choose FI scream when you make it to the 4% rule. But when you're ready to actually pull the trigger and retire and you say, I'm never working again, that's where we need someone to come in and unpack sequence of returns and whether or not the 4% rule can be applied to a 60 to 80 year retirement window. Is that controversial, Brad? It's very interesting. That, that's an interesting thought. And I and I like it. I like it just, like you said, as a construct for that proclamation. And, and I think that's cool because I think people of good faith can definitely argue whether 4% truly is a safe withdrawal rate. Right. And and Earn has done an exhaustive set of research on on that. And and I think he would say that isn't realistic necessarily for a, a 60 plus year retirement. So so people like a target. And I think for that as as something to shoot for, 25 times your expenses is is a very reasonable amount. And and I like saying that's fine. Because in all likelihood, people are going to make some more dollars somewhere. They might get Social Security somewhere down the road. Like there are things that that play into this. So I'm on board with that. This, this is the first time you're telling me about this. So uh, just hearing it as as if I was a member of the audience, I'm definitely on board with that. And I also I understand that there's nuance to this, that just because by sheer definition of you having 25 times your expenses doesn't mean you can or would up and retire that very next day and expect to not work and not make one more dollar for 60 years that that intuitively makes sense to me. So so I like that both on just that aspirational level of I am at five at 25 times and also on the practical level of understanding there is some nuance to this. So, yeah, I, I like that. Cool. All right. Yeah, I think it gives us a lot of flexibility. And I like I like to have a number to shoot for. Like you said, I like to have a target. So there's two different things. You can officially say I'm at five once you get to that number. But now we need someone to walk us through the individual situation that Paul presented and tell us whether or not it's reasonable for him to retire essentially, I think at like 52 or 54 and have up to a 40 year or 50 year time period 
without ever earning another dollar, which I still probably suspect is unlikely, but you know, for the sake of that analysis. Okay, so let's go ahead and set the stage here uh, in episode 20, uh, the roundup for episode 20 and the roundup for episode 21, uh, which you can go to chooseify.com slash 020R and chooseify.com slash 021R. You can listen to the first two parts of that case study. And now let's go ahead and get Big Earn's analysis. Hi, this is Earn from the Early Retirement Now blog. I wanted to weigh in on the case study for Paul. Uh, First, I share Paul's concern about low expected returns going forward. Uh, Of course, I don't want to forecast another bear market around the corner, but I wouldn't be surprised if we go through several years, maybe even 10 years, with pretty underwhelming returns for both stocks and bonds. Jack Bogle, the Vanguard founder, recently gave an interview where he predicted 4% annual stock returns over the next decade. And that's nominal. It's because equity prices have gotten a bit ahead of earnings. And bonds are not much better. They have low yields and bond returns will disappoint if the Fed keeps raising rates. So the good news is that after 10 lean years, we should go back to much higher returns again. But if you picked your initial withdrawal rate too high, you might have depleted your portfolio so much that even with the improved returns, you will not recover. So that's the definition of sequence of return risk. But uh, back to the case study here. So I have good news and bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Without social security, if you want to disregard or treat it completely as an extra, I would find the $70,000 withdrawal per year out of a $1.4 million portfolio much too aggressive. That's a 5% initial withdrawal rate and even $60,000, that's still over 4% initial rate. Uh, That's pushing it in today's environment. Uh, If you want to consider Social Security purely as an extra, I would recommend only 3.5% initial withdrawal rate. Remember, we have unattractive equity and bond valuation and a 40 to 50 year retirement horizon. So out of a $1.4 million portfolio, we are now looking at just under $50,000 initial withdrawal and then adjusted for inflation every year. And by the way, that's before taxes, though there might be a route to never pay federal taxes if you structure your uh, Roth conversion letter as planned. But I don't know how much you'll pay in state taxes. But here's the good news. You have very generous Social Security benefits. So Social Security would have to be more than just an extra. It's almost the cornerstone of your retirement plan. The maximum benefits are worth about 4.5% of today's portfolio. If you reduce withdrawals from your portfolio dollar for dollar when Social Security kicks in, then $70,000 probably works very well. So think of this as a two-stage problem. You withdraw $70,000 for 19 years from the portfolio, and then when Social Security kicks in, you hardly need any withdrawals from from the portfolio. There's one small disadvantage, of course. You have to have the stomach to take on this political risk of potential future cuts or rule changes in Social Security. But I consider that a small risk. When politicians want to reform Social Security, the first sentence is always, if you're 55 years or older, you have nothing to worry about. So you're pretty close to the finish line. And then you have to have the stomach to potentially draw down your nice, impressive seven-figure portfolio over the next 19 years. Uh, Assuming that you draw Social Security at age 70, you may need only a few hundred thousand dollars in your portfolio to supplement those uh, generous Social Security benefits. If you're okay with that, you can probably pull off the $70,000 a year uh, initial withdrawal and even make it through that scary Jack Bogle 4% equity return scenario. Talking about Social Security, uh, your situation is similar to mine. So the husband is a little bit older and expects significantly more in benefits. What's normally recommended in this situation is for the husband to claim benefits at age 70 to get the maximum benefits. The wife claims at the same time and potentially opts for the uh, one-half times the husband's benefits, which could be a little bit higher than your own benefits, so you have to check, check about that. And then if the husband dies before the wife, 
the wife will keep his social security as a survivor benefit. I'm not the expert on this, so maybe somebody else wants to weigh in on this one, but that's certainly something to check out. One other thing that uh, that I liked uh, in your case study for your personal situation, I like the idea of not having a designated 529 account. Uh, if you have an all equity portfolio and you're in a low enough tax bracket, then both dividend and capital gains are income tax free. So there's no advantage from a 529. Uh, and the taxable account offers the flexibility to repurpose that account uh, for your own retirement, if necessary, without the 10% penalty. Uh, so that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed my comments. Let me know if you have questions. Uh, and best of luck. All I got to say is, wow. Thank goodness we have Big Earn on board to walk us through some of that, because that's some next level stuff right there that I haven't heard anybody else take the time to really unpack for you guys. That that was incredible. What did you think, Brad? Yeah, Ern is fantastic. There's no doubt about it. I, I love how, how he looked at it, again, uh, looked at a problem a little differently. He said that not only is Social Security not something to ignore, but it can be the cornerstone of this entire five plan based on where Paul is in his life and his proximity and age to Social Security. And in all likelihood, he actually even looked at the the political implications that Paul is so close to this mythical age of 55, where politicians say, even if Social Security does change, nobody over 55 is going to be impacted. So that was a cool thought that that just never would have crossed my mind. So not only did Ern talk about the actual in-depth calculations, but he actually looked at at the political realities as well. So yeah, I mean, that's really helpful. So I believe we actually have some more feedback from Paul to kind of help round out the end of this case study. And one of my questions to him was, where are these $70,000 of expenses coming from? You have your mortgage paid off. Then after that, where are $70,000 in life expenses coming from? It just seemed like a, a very large number to me. And I didn't know if it was just something that they arrived at as just like this mythical number, or if it was actual nuts and bolts line items for 70,000. So Jonathan, you want to play some of the voicemails that Paul sent in with the additional information? I look forward to it. Paige made a comment about the age 55 distribution from the workplace. If you leave your job during the year that you turn 55, then you can begin to take distributions from your 401k without having to pay the penalty. I really appreciate that input. I had seen it somewhere before, but that was a, really wasn't a plan that we were looking to execute on. What we're planning to do is to start moving forward on our FI and our next phase of our life soon, like really, really soon. I don't know if I'm going to make it to 55. At either rate, what we want to do is use the 401k as the primary driver for our Roth conversion ladder. You might recall that I have just over 500000 in that account. In order for me to get as much of that account converted to Roths before age 70 and a half kicks in and I'll be required to take required minimum distributions, I want to start that process at the beginning of 2018. We plan to pace it annually to get the maximum overlap of three separate goals. Convert what we can to shield it from future taxes, to minimize our current taxes, and to meet our spending needs. Brad also asked a question about budget. I'm sending a separate email on that that has a spreadsheet that breaks everything down. In short, here's what 2016 looked like for us. Really, the last 12 months looked like for us. The bulk of our spending, we spent right at $71,000 last year. But the bulk of that spending is a whopping $23,000 worth of vacation. That'll definitely go down in our FI lifetime with travel miles usage. Uh, last year, we spent airfare totaling $5,600, cruises, two separate ones totaling $7,500. Our lodging was $5,000. Experiences were about $3,000, and meals totaled about $2,000. So we spent an awful lot last year on vacation. If you take that away from the 73000 number, then our expenses are $50,000 a year. All right, so that is an awesome look at expenses. So basically what I see, Brad, just right out the gate, the only thing that really strikes me is that he is hemorrhaging money on travel, which is fine. You know, you're fine. You can afford it. But, you know, in maybe the Dave Ramsey camp, once you get to post-retirement and you have all this free time and now you're going to do all these things, travel the world, travel is going to cost you buckets of money. I mean, like $30,000 a year to do multiple vacations a year. In the FI community, because we optimize everything and because we're not afraid of credit cards, we can do it all for a fraction of the cost for virtually free. And I think that once Paul just takes that one lever, uses that travel rewards lever, he is going to be able to slash his travel expenses at bare minimum in half, I would imagine. Yeah, I think without a doubt, not only 
slash expenses, but actually increase the amount of time they can travel. It sounds like they're taking luxury cruises and I think he had over $5,000 in lodging, 6000 in airfare. I mean, these are huge dollar amounts. So he clearly can cut that out just with more intentional travel, something akin to slow travel, as, as you've heard many people talk about, which is maybe go to a city and live there for a month, rent an apartment. There are so many cities in, in Europe and Asia, South America that I mean, you can rent apartments for hundreds of dollars for a month. We looked into Lisbon, Portugal, which is supposed to be an amazing place to live. And I remember finding apartments on Airbnb for, I think it was under $1,000 a month for like a two or three bedroom apartment. So if Paul and his wife want to travel, they can do this for pennies. And as compared to their 23 plus thousand dollars now. So clearly, I think it's a function of more intentional, slow travel and the travel rewards. As we've discussed, we talk about this pretty much every every week on the, the Friday Roundup and certainly on our, our main travel rewards podcast, which is episode nine. But you can save, especially someone who's responsible with their credit cards, someone pursuing FI who can pay off their cards on time and in full every month. Pursuing travel rewards is really one of the best levers to pull to saving huge amounts of money on travel. So I think everyone everyone out there in the audience should at the very least investigate this. And you can find all of our resources at choosefi.com forward slash travel. And we have our podcast episode nine. We have our recommended credit cards and, and a whole bunch of stuff there. So definitely check it out. But Jonathan and I are going to go through Paul's Excel sheet probably on next week's Friday Roundup. But it, it does stick out to me that Paul actually has his current year expenses and then he has a post-fi life. And what's interesting that jumps out to me right off the bat is once he takes out a lot of and he went to a ton of detail on this. This is a phenomenal sheet. But once he takes out that vacation spending and a bunch of other post-fi amounts that, that will decrease. His life expenses are actually only $37,000. So that is a far cry from the 70,000. And I think Jonathan, like we talk about this, things are just gonna be cheaper. A lot of things are gonna be cheaper in FI when, when you're intentional. If that's the difference between retiring for Paul at 52 or having to work a couple more years to, to get to that number, I think that's, that's a pretty easy decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple other things that come to mind as well. For instance, Let's say that you are a lawyer. You have to buy expensive clothes, right, to, to maintain a certain degree of professionalism for your career, which that's cost money with post-tax dollars. Maybe you have to have three cars, one for you and your spouse and, and maybe your child at some point. And because you're going to work every day, you're driving every day, you have to fuel them up and then you have to maintain them. Uh, maybe, you know, honestly, if both of you are at home now, do you really still need three cars? I, I just, I find as I'm able to spend more and more time at home, it really starts to look ridiculous to have three cars in the driveway. It, it just, it does. They're just sitting there. They're giant oversized paperweights. Things do change. Costs go down. There's a real cost to having to go to work. So I cannot wait to get into the analysis. I think there's plenty of room for him to optimize even the small things. And what's really cool about that is he doesn't necessarily have to. But as Big Earn said, you know, his numbers, they look feasible right now. And if Big Earn says so, I'm good with that. In fact, Big Earn's analysis was amazing. But let's say that he needed to, in a, in a tough year where just the, the everything's tanking, he needed to slash his expenses by 20, 30%. What we're looking at right now tells us that he has tons of room. Things don't have to be fixed. You can adjust. You know, when you're in a bull or bear market, you can adjust your expenses because he's using the word expenses at 70,000. That's a very liberal definition. His actual expenses are a very very small fraction of that. And then his discretionary spending carries him up to $70,000. You have the ability to make decisions based in reality, you know, that go up and down with time. And so he's got a lot of room. Okay, guys. So we always ask for your feedback and Jason took us up on it. He said, okay, here's the situation. What if you had a disease in which your life was shortened by an average of 20 years and you knew you couldn't have kids and you and your spouse had jobs and made $500,000 a year? And you like to travel to other countries and nice hotels and you want a house of your own and you like to eat Maine lobster and sushi and prime beef and drive a nice car. BMWs drive nicer than civics. This is truth. I know you guys have convinced yourself that you aren't missing out on anything. I get it. But if you drop dead right now, would you regret anything? You can't take it with you. He says, argue against me, guys. I want to know. 
All right, Brad. First of all, when I got this, I didn't know if he was setting up a straw man. Like, is this too easy to knock down? It almost felt a little bit too easy, but like, I'm excited to try and tackle this one. I don't know if he was trying to help us by making the situation as easy as possible or if this was totally serious. But either way, this is a conversation that's worth having. So I'm excited to go ahead and hand this one over to you and get your initial thoughts on it. Yeah, this is a really interesting question posed by Jason. I, I think I would pivot this a little bit. I think like Jonathan said, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a straw man argument, but so you have a disease which shorten your life by 20 years. Okay, so being literal, I guess, does that mean my life expectancy is 65? All right, maybe we'll, we'll use that as a starting point. Do I like to travel to other countries in nice hotels? I mean, I guess the, the larger argument is, would I spend more money? Would I go out? I, I understand what Jason's saying about we've convinced ourselves that we aren't missing out on anything. I get it. And I, I'm not sure that this is like an apples to apples conversation, right? Like I think based on the confines of my life, choosing Phi is, as I've discussed many times, it's a superpower that enables me to have this wonderful life that I would not be able to have if I were working 40 hours a week forever in a job that I barely tolerate which that was my life three years ago. And for the prior 15 years prior to that, it was basic showing up to work, not enjoying it, getting through the day, getting paid reasonably, coming home, seeing my family and going to sleep and doing it all over again, like many of us out there, right? But I can tell you that by choosing Phi, by not buying that BMW, by not going out for Maine Lobster and prime beef, that we were able to make what maybe was little sacrifices, though I don't even necessarily see it that way, but we'll even argue those are sacrifices. That by making those small sacrifices, I was able to take charge of my life and wrest the control back from that job that I barely tolerated. And I can tell you being on the other side of it, being at home with my kids and my family and having flexibility is priceless. There are not enough main lobsters in the world that would supersede the value that I get by seeing my kids grow up, by mm -hmm. being here every single day, by, you know, our pool, as, as I talked about, that's one of our big things. Our pool opens next Friday. We're going to be there every single day, essentially for 60 to 90 days. You know, we're, we're going on vacation in August. So, so normally I'd say 90 days, but there are no other fathers at that pool, maybe a handful at most. And I'm there every single day, just frolicking in the, in the water with my kids and having fun and playing games. I mean, that is, that is what life is all about. It's not about buying a BMW and impressing your stupid friends for two minutes. Honestly, like maybe it drives a little better. I don't really care, honestly, that that doesn't provide any value to me. But spending that time with my family is something that I could never get back. So that's why I've chosen Phi. So I, I think Jason, again, set up an interesting argument. But to me, this is this is a no brainer for my life and how I choose to live my life. I would pay any amount of money just to watch Brad frolic. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to include that. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm, I'm all over that pool, man. Don't <laughs> all right. So I think it's almost two different things here. I think you need to break up the question just a little bit. So the first one is, what if you had a disease in which your life was shortened by an average of 20 years? How would your life change. I think that's part of it. Uh, and he says specifically, if you and your spouse had jobs that made $500,000 a year, because if you keep them together, it seems kind of dumb. You're saying, okay, so you only, you have 20 years less to live and you make $500,000 a year. Are you going to want to work right up to the end? Does that make any, does that make any sense? You're not even going to have a retirement, right? I mean, is that reasonable just to put a pause there? Yeah, it absolutely is. That That's right. The premise of the question, are you working, making 500,000 right into the end? just to afford a BMW and Maine lobsters that, yeah, that doesn't make sense. To so me. let's talk about what it looks like for most people. These they, they work through all of their valuable years, saving 4%. And by the time they're 65 or 70, uh, they have nothing saved and they collect social, you know, insecurity. I stole that one from Dave Ramsey, social insecurity. It's just barely enough, right. To keep them sated or alive, keep the lights on. And, you know, now they have nothing but time, but they've lost their health. So first of all, to me, there's a huge contrast between the, the standard norm and what the Phi community is choosing, which is to recapture their prime years and be able to spend that time on experiences. Now, 
I think that's just kind of the first, that's the thing that strikes me right away is that's what this is all about. It's recapturing your time. Now, the second, what Brad and I are trying to do, I heard this framed, I think I heard it on the Afford Anything podcast, but I love the concept. So essentially what we're creating is this, we're creating another another entity in our house. So it's you and your spouse, it's Brad and his spouse. And then he's creating this third entity, which is a passive income investment, right? Where this, this monster portfolio. And that person is now earning money as well, right? But they don't have any expenses. So they don't have, you don't have to pay to keep the light, the keep them clothed or feed them, but they are earning income. And so they are more than paying their share. And in fact, because they're working so hard 24 hours a day, it then allows you to work less, right? Isn't that a cool way of looking at it, Brad? Yeah, that is interesting. I'd never, never heard that before. I heard Paula say it. I thought I'd hijack it. I thought it was pretty neat. So, and then from there, because you, now you have to work less, you can now spend the time on experiences with your kids. And so the, the biggest thing is he kind of makes this pivot. So the first thing he says is you like to travel to un- other countries and nice hotels. I'm with you, man. That's experiences. But then you go down to a dark path and you start talking about just stuff, right? Maine lobster, sushi, prime beef, nice car, BMWs, maybe throw a yacht or a jet ski, you know, these really cool toys and stuff more and more what 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 I think we find Brad and I have identified is that stuff becomes boring. It's kind of like when you're trying to lose weight and they tell you you can have that one cheat meal a week, right? You're allowed to have that one cheat meal a week. And then over time you get in this habit where you realize you don't even really want the cheat meal. That's kind of the hijacking of your brain that Phi does to you. Maybe initially you need that cheat meal. So you give yourself that allowance, but you realize over time that you value that time that you've recaptured way more than you value stuff. The BMW just doesn't have the appeal because the choices that you've made that are now giving you the opportunity to pursue by, that's the exact same process that now makes you not really care about stuff anymore. So I don't know. That was That's Brad and I's thought. I'm with Brad. Uh, the next question is, you know, forget that. Let's make it even easier, Jason. Let, let's like, let's get rid of the disease. Let's get rid of the job. Let's just say you have an, you know, money is no longer an issue for you, right? That's the real argument. What if money is no longer an issue? So you can spend as much of it or as little of it as you want. What changes then? That's a real argument. That's that's the question that, that I would ask. How much would, would my life change then? And I think now that's the discussion we can have. And then you can really figure out what is it that you actually want to spend your money on? Because you can have as much of it as you want. I mean, would you want to have this opulent, crazy lifestyle? That's a better question, right, Brad? Yeah, I agree. And this is one that actually when Jason asked this, Laura and I sat down and, and actually had this conversation about your pivot actually, which is which is interesting that, that you brought that up, that if we had more money than we have today or are making today, and really it money didn't matter anymore, what would we spend it on? And we came to the conclusion that we certainly wouldn't go out and, and buy nicer cars. Maybe, maybe, maybe we would move to a, a different neighborhood. I've We've roughly talked about moving, but it would be probably two miles away near uh, our kids' elementary school and where friends of ours live. So it would actually be more of a, lifestyle upgrade as opposed to just, oh, we want to live in a McMansion. So it wouldn't even be that much more expensive. It would just be actually moving to increase our life, our life happiness. So, you know, that's probably not even the the normal answer. Maybe there are a couple hundred dollars a month that we'd spend extra on, I don't know, some organic food that Laura couldn't bring herself to to pay for normally just because she's frugal. And maybe I would, I don't know, do some type of other exercise. Like maybe I'd get a personal trainer or something like that. But, But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure that spending money would increase our life happiness. And that's really what I'm going for. If I did think that there were ways to spend money and increase happiness, then I would do it. So I think, again, Jason brings up a great question here. And I, and I think all of us need to think about this. And and this kind of ties back into what Brandon from The Mad Scientist said on, on the episode that we had him on, which was he was depriving himself and making life miserable for himself and his wife, Jill. And that just wasn't good enough. And he needed to stop doing that and and loosen the purse strings a little bit. And it's increased their life happiness significantly. And it's only made a couple thousand dollars a year difference in actual money. So that is an absolute no brainer. So again, to Jason's point is if you're depriving yourself and certainly if you're looking at it as depriving yourself, you're going to have a miserable life. If you're looking at this under the, the construct of a normal working family, well, Phi can make your life dramatically better. And then maybe when you're at FI, loosening the purse strings a little bit and and being a little bit more open to spending can make your life slightly better still at the margin. So so that's how I look at this problem. And, and, and again, it, it challenged me to think a little bit differently. So I really thank Jason for sending it in. The last two parts of this were, I love this last phrase. He said, if you drop dead right now, 
would you regret anything? You can't take it with you. So in the first paragraph, he kind of made the case, you know, you want to buy all this nice stuff. In the second paragraph, he reminded us that you can't take it with you. And I think that is, that's, that's like making my case for me. It's just stuff, you know, it's going to rust and grow old, but the experience is that's the value. And so that's where the five community puts their energy. They put it into buying their time back, which is, that's the scarcity right there. That's what you're running out of. And that's what we're pursuing. And so we put this question out to our, our community on our Facebook group. And guys, we try to put out one kind of thought provoking question that maybe we can tackle in our Friday roundup each week. Uh, and this was the one that we just asked them for you guys that are hardcore fire. Imagine that money's not an issue. How much would your life change? And we had a bunch of people respond to this. And I, I tell you, nobody said they wanted the Lambo. Can you believe it? Nobody wanted the Maserati. It was all more travel, more time, more time with family, less work. That's what this is about. That's what you're pursuing. You're pursuing your passions, you're freeing your time up, and then you're giving that time to the people that are most important to you, usually your family. So I'm going to read y'all three of the responses that got left by our Facebook community. Chad says, the interesting thing is the fact that money is an issue has shaped the way my life and I live our lives in an incredibly meaningful way. It forces us to set goals for ourselves and our family and to make informed choices, decisions as we move forward on our path to FI. In addition, it forces us to serve as positive financial role models for our two young children. The closer we get to FI, the less I care about the number and the more I feel as though my true calling is to help empower young people to make informed financial decisions at a time in their life when doing so could completely transform their future. That's really powerful. That's kind of a, that's a place that I think me and you are both going, right, Brad? Yeah, for sure. Melissa says, I wouldn't be working and I would be traveling a lot more, but my house, car, neighborhood, friends, activities wouldn't change a bit. Lori says, way less work, way more travel. And Alan from Pop-Up Business School, he says, I think there would be some work I would drop and I would probably play a little bit bigger, but unlimited money probably wouldn't change things that much. So guys, we appreciate your feedback. We try to include those each week. If you want to be part of our growing community, and it really is growing, please go to choosefi.com slash Facebook. That will join our Facebook page and you can join the conversation, uh, which as you know, we get excited about sharing with everybody. All right, guys. Now we're not going to play it today, but um, Paul did leave us some more information, which I'm super excited to share with you about his plans for college. And it sounds like he's planning on doing some college hacking. Now I'm going to save his message for the next roundup, which we will do, I guess, next Friday. I'll play his ideas for college hacking. But today, I wanted to announce uh, that Edmund, who is one of our senior writers and contributors here at Chooseify. And guys, Edmund, I've told you about Edmund before. He is probably one of the highest level Fi thinkers on the planet. And I'm not exaggerating this. I honestly cannot wait for y'all to find out more about the work that he's already done and that he's continuing to do. But he's one of our senior writers and contributors at Chooseify. And Edmund is going through the process of college hacking for his kids. So this is something he's actively researching. I mean this frankly, I don't think anybody is going to be able to dig deeper in the weeds and find the the gems that we can all use uh, than Edmund. And he is taking all the different resources that we have kind of started to talk about and he's putting them together for you in a roadmap that you will be able to use. So we told you that Sun Woo incorporated the college, uh, hacking the college FAFSA a week or so ago. Edmund's putting that in. He's also putting the dual enrollment, the CLEP testing, the micro scholarships. He is building it all into a replicable process that you can use if you're in our fire community. And guys, I, I cannot stress this enough. This article series that he's piecing together is a game changer. I mean, this is what we have been waiting for. We've been waiting for one person that's figured it out or has the ability to figure it out to put it together for us in a package that we can then talk about and turn into a conversation. And I, I promise you, Edmund is your guy for that. So we're going to be releasing the second article in that series this upcoming Wednesday. If you are subscribed to our email list, you will get a notification as soon as it's released. So if you want to subscribe to our email list, uh, you can text choose FI, that's one word, to 44222. Choose FI to 44222. And you'll get a notification when that's released. We're thinking it's going to be Wednesday morning. It's mind blowing guys. I mean, this is what you have been waiting for with regards to college hacking and, and our community is all about the second generation. That is what our focus is. So you're going to want access to that. And I know Paul's going to want access to that as this is the, the process that he's planning on using. And Edmund says, frankly, for the five community college, it should cost a max of like 30 to $36,000 absolute max. And so Brad, I know that you are kind of, is it possible? Is it doable? I'm going to convince you on this and we are going to create this story that you might even end up using for your kids, Brad. Yeah, that sounds good. 
And obviously I never want to, I'm not as exuberant as you in general, but I never want to overplay anything. But Edmund is not only the highest level five thinker, he's just the highest level thinker I've ever met just in general. Like I want to be Edmund when I grow up is, is like basically. <laughs> I'm making that I bumper sticker it. right now. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. I mean, like I get emails from him because he's big time into the travel reward stuff and gift cards and earning tons and tons of points. So I'm just blown away by the stuff that he's just on a different planet. So uh, again, I never want to oversell anything, but Edmund is the man. And if we have him as a contributor here at Choosify, it helps you, the community. It, you know, it doesn't help us. It, it helps all of us. So uh, that's that's what this is all about. I'm just going to start calling him e-money for short. Just everything he writes is pure gold. All right, guys, frugal ones of the week. Uh, first one, just a thought from Steven. He says, the first two letters in fit for the Honda are phi. Is this a coincidence? I think not. Great point, Steven. Great point. All right, Danielle says, my frugal one of the week is actually for my mother. We switched her 401k accounts over from an ex- from an investment with an expense ratio of 0.38 to Vanguard accounts with an expense ratio of 0.05 and 0.01%. That saved her up to 0.37% on expenses. What a simple savings from just switching accounts. Thanks for all you do. Jeff says, one really nice one for my beautiful wife. I offered to take her out for a Mother's Day brunch. Expensive, think think expensive, $50 per person and $20 for our son. She said she didn't want that and we're getting sandwiches from Corner Bakery and going to a park. She's the best, that's awesome. And then Karina, insurance overhaul, $62 monthly savings, cable downgrade, $33 monthly savings. That is $1,100 a year in savings. And that's in addition to the $1,200 she made selling all of her books, CDs, DVDs, and clothes that I don't need. That is awesome, guys. Thank you so much for sharing your frugal wins with us. Uh, I am still trying to figure out what my next one is going to be. I'm looking for a place to win just for you guys. But we love your feedback. Please continue to give it to us as you think of stuff. We love getting it and we love sharing it. All right, guys. Now, this is a, a resource that we heard from one of our Canadian listeners. And it's a life hack. It's definitely a financial life hack. And it's one that I would like to see somebody in our community, if they know of a service that's similar, I would like to see you guys help us out and let us know about it. So this is from Steve. Hey, John and Brad. It's Steve from up north in Canada. I appreciate all you guys do. I really look forward to your two episodes a week coming into my earbuds. I just wanted to share with you my hack on term life insurance. I have them through a company called Manulife. You'll have to find the equivalent in the States, so I'm sure it must exist. You guys seem to have options for everything in the South. But the life insurance I'm on lets me subscribe to specific units of $25,000 coverage, and I can raise or lower my units anytime I want. And I just pay every month based on the category that I fit into. So right now, being under 35 and in good health, I think my wife and I pay $42 a month for $500,000 of coverage each. The great thing about being on the financial independence journey is I'm going to need less coverage as I gain my wealth. So my current plan is to drop it at about $50,000 a year until I actually reach financial independence. That means that as I move up into more expensive life insurance rates, my actual cost of life insurance is still decreasing because I'm decreasing the amount I need. Anyway, this is a great option for those who are on the way to FI, even though it'd probably be a terrible option for the average person who is not aggressively saving because, of course, the rates will rise. Anyway, I just wanted to share with you my life insurance hack, and maybe it'll help someone else out there. Thanks so much for all you guys do. I appreciate your show. That is a totally different way of looking at term life insurance that I've never heard anybody else mention. And I think that is one that is perfect for the FI community. It makes sense. It fits into the model that we're talking about. I would love to know if somebody has uncovered a service here in the United States that's anything similar to that. But certainly if you're in Canada, that sounds like that might be a great option. Yeah, agreed. And if anybody out there has heard of something similar, please send it to us at feedback at choosefi.com. And that's actually just our general email. If you have any questions, comments about the show, send it to us at feedback at choosefi.com. All right. And to close out the show, we're going to do our iTunes review giveaway. So as we've discussed previously, the best way that you guys can support us is to leave an iTunes review. So if you just head to choosefi.com slash iTunes, that'll take you there. Jonathan created this wonderful page that explains really quick how to how to leave a review. And 
And yeah, for every five reviews that we get. So if you just take a quick screenshot or a picture and send it to us at feedback at ChooseFI, for every five reviews we get, we're going to do a drawing for one copy of J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. This is a real game-changing book, and we want to get it in your hands. And obviously, you're doing us a, a huge favor by leaving the review. So today, we have two winners from this past week of people who left reviews and sent them in. And the first is Rick from Austin. And Rick said, a friend turned me on to this podcast as we're both consuming as much FI data as possible to determine our paths. We've both done well with a general plan of reducing expenses and increasing revenues, finding reasonable investments and constantly learning. This podcast has made me realize how many gaps are in my plan and have given me the information to fill those gaps. I like that I'm not told to reduce expenses to zero that occasional splurges are okay, and that I, that I don't have to trade my car in for a bike tomorrow. I also really appreciate the production quality of their podcast and their professional method of upload, consistency of content production, etc. Keep up the great work, and hopefully I'll be one of your upcoming case studies. That's super cool. Very, very awesome feedback. And I'm glad you're enjoying the show, Rick. Thanks. Thanks so much for sending that our way. All right. And our second winner is Jessica. And Jessica wrote, love this podcast. I listen to this podcast when I'm commuting. I'm a single mom and I've put a lot of the advice from this podcast into practice over the past year. In doing so, I've saved thousands of dollars. I'm still in the debt paying stage of the game, but I have my employer match going and I'm getting everything together. I find that in addition to the great information you can learn from this podcast, it serves as a motivator to keep working towards FI. Keep up the good work. So yeah, thank you, Jessica. That's a that's a great, great review and and just glad that you're taking action and you're enjoying the show, but but really more importantly, that that you're putting it into play and, and making that difference in your life. So yeah, good for you. And I'm with you, by the way, Jessica. So like Brad is at FI and I'm on the path as well. And this show keeps me motivated. So it's just, you know, we're, we're right in this together and hopefully uh, we'll be on the path to FI together. All right, guys. Well, that brings us to the end of this particular episode. That was part three of this case study. And I'm excited that by the end of this month, we'll be able to put it all together and present a plan uh, for what pursuing fire going to look like for Paul. I'm just very, very exciting stuff to be able to share this with y'all. So the fire is spreading, my friends, and uh, we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.